Wish you knew more about the medical device industry and how you can do your job more effectively and put your career on the fast track? Then stay tuned while industry veteran Pat Cothy shares strategies and tips from customers and company insiders who help drive the industry. Now let's join Pat as he explores how you can master medical device. Welcome. This is a second part of my conversation about the value analysis process with my guest, Barbara Strain. If you haven't listened to part one, I strongly encourage you to go back and do so. As I explained before, uh, Barbara has in-depth insider knowledge in the process uh, because she lived it in her positions within the University of Virginia Health System and also as founder and past president of the Association of Healthcare Value Analysis Professionals, or AVAP. In this episode, Barbara and I discuss the role of the value analysis team in making decisions, whether all products go through the same process, what makes a good supplier relationship, what are the components in a good value analysis presentation, and why you may want to become a member of AVAP. Here's part two of our conversation. Barbara, as, as you explained, I mean, there's a lot of internal analysis that go, goes into the financial side, the clinical side, the supplier audit, uh, we'll call it, call it that side. And you're getting all this information back and some, some team members are responsible for doing this. And it, it could be analysts, could be yourself, could be you know, RNs, could be a lot of different people that are pulling this information together. And then, it, then all of a sudden it's, it's there. And now you've got the decision. Who's making the decision? Because you've got the clinical person who may have one opinion, the value analysis people may have a second, and the, and the purchasing people may have a third. How, who's making the call? So first off, value analysis doesn't participate in the decision and have a vote. Value analysis is your hunters, gatherers, organization. We're doing the analysis so that we make sure we're not leaving something or someone out or anything are you, like are that. You making, are you making a recommendation? We bring forth all of the information. The key opinion leaders. So if it's already teams that are established. So let's just say I'm going to go back to my lab roots. There's a lab team. And they would meet um, every month and they would have representatives from the different parts of the lab sections and things. But if we had a particular piece of equipment or blood decisions and blood blank equipment, whatever it was, we'd have those key folks, whether it was the pathologist, the lab administrator, the key technical people. And then we'd have their finance person at these meetings we'd have a uh, biomed person that might have to take care of a piece of equipment or have input on service contracts. We'd have the contracting agent and they're usually divided up by the particular departments. And then we'd have even the purchasing agent for the labs and we'd all be together but we'd have sort of this executive summary. So you'd have a format of here's what sort of the statement is. We're looking to improve X by contracting with this company for this particular uh, piece of equipment. Or we might have three different companies, same sort of product type or equipment type, and they made presentations, they gave us all the information, and now we've got a side-by-side -side comparison. We might just throw up a weighted point system. And what's going to be the most important things would get higher points and weights. And the things that were critical but not as important in this particular thing. And then we'd go down the line. So we might come out at the end with this particular supplier got 110 points, this one got 90 points, and this one got 50. Then we'd examine, why did this one get 50? Maybe someone forgot to vote or whatever, but you go, okay, does everybody agree? We won't consider this supplier. We agree. Then of these two, 
what were the really deciding factors? And we needed to make sure that they're not based on, I know Fred that works at this company and I really like him. They don't kind of say that, but you can tell by things. You have to make it as data and agnostic as possible and looking at your key things. Because if you do the process right, you'll make the right decision 99.9% .9 of the time. So if things aren't that convoluted or whatever, it might not necessarily be a point process. It could be those key folks in the room who are the voting members of a team. And it could be like head of service, the uh, director of sterile processing, whoever those key people are. Is there any reason why we should not, you know, after everything was presented, use this particular product? Some of them might say, I don't think we still have enough information to make a decision today. And does everybody agree with that? And, you know, you might get a few dissenters, but everybody agrees it's the consensus in the room. What else do you need? And they go, you know, now that we heard all this together and we thought we knew about how this was going to be, you know, even leased or how this was going to be uh, executed, I now have questions about that. Could we have more information just about that part? Sometimes this is a place where we ask the suppliers to actually come to a meeting and each present on those particular factors. Because we're not all the experts on the products, the suppliers are. So it could be that they didn't explain a nuance correctly or whatever. So there are instances in which suppliers can present to a committee but usually not throughout the whole process and things. So we can be very open about all of the factors that we're putting together, not just bits and pieces. So if a supplier has the opportunity to get in front, that's great. But sometimes you don't have the opportunity to get in front of the people. So how do you assure that the information is getting through the proper information that puts your product, all your product attributes out there so that they can see what the benefits are? How do we assure that that gets transmitted? So we, meaning value analysis, is meeting with the supplier all along the way. And it could be that we need their uh, chief quality person to be on a call or we need their production uh, manager from the floor to be on the call. So we try to get all of the information as correct, accurate as possible and then review that with the supplier by saying, you know, we're going to be taking this to the committee in two weeks and here's all the information uh, we've put together that you've provided to us. We want to make sure we get this correct. And we might say we're still not clear about how this particular, um, you know, accessory it does or does not play a part with the product all the time, some of the time. Sometimes, you know, acronyms and things are flying around so fast that you might think that this accessory goes every single time, but maybe it's only on certain circumstances. So you don't want to overinflate dollars because now you've associated this. So we're always communicating with the supplier and making new meetings or exchanging PowerPoints or having these sorts of conversations virtually. I mean, we had stuff virtually before um, 2020, believe it or not. But um, I really like the virtual aspect because you can get in. Can you have Charlie join the call at 1015 and let's go over this particular part. We don't have to keep Charlie and fly him in and he has to get a hotel room and all his meals and everything. He can just come in to a, a meeting at a certain point in time and that sort of thing. So Barbara, you talk a lot about, about process and process allows us all to do things and, and not drop any balls through. So I think process is really important. However, there are certain more important projects and there's certain that may be less important. Do you have different processes for something that is a major change or something that's a minor change? 
So I'm, I'm taking a deep breath because I'm sure a lot of my colleagues would say, we always do the same process for everything. It, it probably isn't feasible. One of like hundreds of things we've learned in the last two years is that there are certain products that as long as you know what the key few characteristics are that you need to make sure that product has, you don't have to go through all these processes or things because one, you don't even know if you can even get that substitute product the next time you have that interaction or even in the next hour because it would have been gone to somebody else or whatever. So even before, from 2019 back, um, we would do these like more quick value analysis on certain things. So that's why it's really good to have folks with clinical and different clinical backgrounds in value analysis because you can actually do your own little experiments right in like your office or uh, send a few products to a few key people and say by email say tell me is this the same and we tell them some basic characteristics so we say it's still two and a half by four it still has this many layers it still has no latex it still is not like like what do you think and maybe we drop off a sample or something and people would say within a day they go well you know we tried to break it we you you know tried to do this nope looks the same they're fine so we might not go through everything. And there are some times where we have spent more time on something that cost less than a dollar and less time on something that might have cost $20,000. And it just is one of those, it's either a touchy feely and oh my God, if you change this, it upsets so many apple carts. Um, versus if you change this, you're only looking at one department. So how do you work with that department to make sure that they haven't gone, they don't need to go outside their box because these other three departments do interface with whatever that is. For an example is somebody might bring something in an interventional department or the OR and we know where do those patients go today? Do they go home? Do we need to bring in home health? Do they go to a, a, back to a clinic only? And does the clinic staff need to be involved? Or do they go to an inpatient unit, first an ICU, then a step down? Do we need those people involved? Because they might have adjunct things that they do with the patient that now this new thing, someone may go, what's this? I've not seen it before. Do I still do it this way or that way? So we're also risk managers. We're safety managers. We're really trying to protect the patient and let the staff perform. And you've heard it more than one times at the top of their license or the top of their education or abilities. So Barbara, earlier you mentioned that not everybody can know everything about every product. Um, but when you go through a detailed value analysis of a certain product technology or whatever, do you ever share that with any of your colleagues? Um, we're very careful about it. We can talk in sort of a uh, secret society way in that we're not doing it in a real public forum so that we don't really bring up and, um, say anything that might be detrimental to a anyone's process that they use b any one particular supplier or whatever but if we've got a small group of us and um, say that um, there's a disruption in getting a product and so we might call a few value analysis friends in our chain that we know. So like if you're a children's hospital, you might have, you know, 20 other colleagues in a children's hospital. One, you want to make sure that they know that something may be backordered or uh, you're looking at something. Do you have experience with something else? And if you do, 
could you give me just some general information? We don't want to throw anyone or any organization or any supplier under any sort of a bus. We're just basically seeing what good fit do we have. We do ask suppliers for reference accounts. So if you're coming to us and it's something that's very population specific, or on the other hand, it's very general, but a lot of people are going to touch it, give us your top three reference accounts, somebody that might've been using you know, a competitive product and made a conversion uh, one of your, you know, oldest, long-lasting companies that you still have uh, been buying your product today, or or someone, you know, brand new, you know, onboarding it or whatever. So we go talk privately to these organizations and things and ask some frank questions. Here's what we're looking at. Here's what our population's looking at, and we know how to ask questions so that you don't ask them to say, "Now they said." that you did, we don't do those sorts of things. We try to make it, did it last three years? You know, did you have to do a new contract? Did it work with this kind of pieces of equipment and things? So we try to be very above board and professional about it because as we've said more than once, you can't, uh, you know, sort of destroy any bridges because you never know when you're gonna need to reach out because things in healthcare do change very fast and you want to be able to be sure to have a full complement of knowledge in front of you. To your point, we may work with 10 companies on just one project because there's either one company has a really broad uh, product range in what you're looking at and others may have a couple of gap fillers uh, some may have a few things here or there and you've just got to put all this together so so we do keep all that in mind so you i'm sure you've worked with hundreds and thousands of different companies uh, through the years and some have done some have been great partners and some probably not so great. So what is the difference between somebody who's a really great partner? What do they do right in the value analysis uh, process? So this may sound very simple. However, a lot of projects usually boil down to communication. So a good, on either side, but a good, um, supplier is one that's going to listen and respond to what they're hearing not just a canned presentation that you're going to give every provider regardless so what is that customer's story so it's the voice of the customer what's their story what's their real need don't lead off with, I know that you're suffering from, uh, you know, cauties, clabsies, falls, you know, whatever it is, and I've got what can fix whatever. So we would say things like, well, we realize that, and we've been working very diligently on, say, cauty. And we've been able to reduce our CAUTIs from this level to this level, doing a variety of things. So can you do something that's going to get us from this small level to zero? And if they can say yes, without any hesitation, well, tell us how that would happen. Is your gap maybe related to X, Y, and Z? And then we go, whoa, we didn't even know that could be a gap. So we're always educating each other, but it's listening. And then what does my product or service do that could close that gap or help you identify that gap, help you to collect information about that gap? Or if you look at, and we've had companies do this, if you look at your specific 
um, DRG code or ICD-9 code or your HICPIC code or whatever and see if you have any of those because if you do that means you have been doing this or you have not been doing that depending on whether you have data or not. So it can also help you to close gaps that you didn't realize you might have had or had a, a big a better conversation about it. So it's listening and to be able just to have a conversation and maybe it's not even about product. Maybe it's just learning and asking questions about what's your outcomes lately in this particular area. You know, and I represent a company that has been able to solve some of those in certain organizations, and you might be a good candidate if. And so it, prompt, it prompts you as a provider to get that information together. And then the person on the other end of the conversation said, how, you know, well, let me call you back in a couple of weeks. See what your information looks like, and then maybe we can still talk more about this because I think we might be able to help you rather than have a static conversation that you have with everybody. I think what you're going to learn then is you're going to learn not only what impact your device can have within a certain period of time, but look at it from the clinician standpoint, from the IDN standpoint to say, this is how we are measuring success or not success of this type of patient. What does that mean in terms of follow-up visits? What does that mean in terms of, of return, uh, return for other procedures? What does it mean for patient satisfaction? All of these things that are kind of outside of the, you know, the immediate, you know, how does my product do in surgery. <laughs> right, right. Yes. It's an overall real look at things. And so to have that more holistic look of healthcare is extremely important. Uh, it always has been, but uh, today and, and future, it, it really is because there's so many moving balls. There is so much going on. And you really need to get a handle on, especially now as people eventually coming out of the latest surge and people that have moved on that aren't caught up in maybe some of the surge and various things is they're now looking at maybe I don't need all these clinic days and clinic hours and and maybe we're going to do telehealth for 40 percent of this well maybe that means something to you know two products or two types of services or whatever you were providing so if you're not going to need it anymore uh provider and then the supplier just finds out by the fact that somebody doesn't renew a contract or whatever they've got I always say the tail that wags the dog right they've got people that are staffing phones or people that are monitoring you know certain aspects or um, things that are coming off manufacturing lines and so we have to do a much better job of communicating any of those signals of What's going on globally, raw materials, what's in our factories, what is available to be sent, you know, and if you're making wholesale changes, uh, provider, we're going to also need to know about it so we can all adjust because that all affects either pricing or quality or availability, anything in healthcare. So we have a long way to go yet, but I think we've learned a lot and can use a lot of the data that was generated to make all this better on behalf of our consumers and then patients. Barbara, I want to go back to something that you you mentioned earlier, just to clarify it. You mentioned uh, you know what can companies can provide, and, and you said it could be a one pager, it could be a PowerPoint slide uh, slide deck. What should companies provide? Is it a one pager? I mean, is, is or is it the thirty-page PowerPoint deck? First of all, if it's thirty pages, here's we're going to be sitting there as value analysis. You know, we've had the deck dealing. Somebody would start to talk. You know, it all started in a factory in eighteen forty-three in some <laughs> small. T you know, and we're actually physically going through the presentation. And finally, if someone's brave enough, and usually a lot, a lot of my value analysis colleagues and things are, can we start on page 10 and start there? 
And then the person giving the presentation is, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, we can do that. And then they go like that. You can tell us about your company in a few sentences. You can tell us why we should be looking at your company in a few sentences. But get after what does your product and service, what is it, what is it really made for? Why did you really discover it? Why did you really make it? Why did you buy it from another company and enhance it? Why? Why are you in this business? And what is the business you're in? So we can fine-tune very quickly that, oh, this is our um, ophthalmology or this is my general surgery that does only open procedures. You know, we have to know where it sits. And then start providing that clinical-based evidence, percentages of things, or how many cases were done, and we saw an improvement from X to Y. But be able to have the data to back it up. You can't just say, we are the most innovative company. Those are what I call empty words, but you're going to have to tell me. We're innovative because the other products that were before me never did X, but ours does X. And when we had it in the hands of some clinical folks, when we did some trials, it did exactly what X was designed to do. And here's some of that data. But don't overwhelm us with the acronyms and start talking company speak and all that sort of stuff. We need to make sure that it's digestible by everyone there. And whether it's visual, even good x-rays, a little video that you can just click on and we can see during a virtual and will actually put you in a procedure or anything like that. But everything has to be short. We already talked about how many procedures and initiatives are we balancing at any one given time. So we don't have a lot of time. So we need to get to the bottom line. A 10 or 12 page PowerPoint that we know we'll have an introductory slide or two and a follow-up slide or two to make your point. But if we had a few testimonials in there from actual uh, customers, um, and then it needs to have, how do I acquire the product? You, you can only get it directly from us. Well, if our model is a prime distributor model and we can't do it through prime distribution, that's a big red X. That means more processes for us to keep up with. You know, various things like that. GPO contracts, yes or no? If so, what GPOs? You know, and then very little about if it's very size dependent, then include a cell sheet that you can turn over and says, oh, here's where all of our sizes are. So when we ask about sizes, we can tell. And if we know we have a two by three, a four by six, and a eight round, and you've got a one by two, and a two by four and a half, and you got a rectangle, can I work with that, right? So some things are deal breakers that may seem so small, but to an organization, it, it can be, make a lot of difference. So you've given us some great insights into what companies do right and also some insights into, into some of the things that companies do wrong. Are there some, there's some, some real things that tick you off about what companies do? They don't follow instructions. So we try to say, here's how the meeting should go. And here's the type of things we want to look at. And here's the type of people it would be good for us to hear from. And none of that happens because the company is dictating, nope, this is how we always do it. We always bring in these people. They don't really understand our stuff. We have to really present it like this. So let's have a discussion about that before the actual meeting takes place. We've actually had to just cancel a meeting because... We didn't have the right people at the table because we thought we were discussing this. When everybody got together, we go, well, we're missing four of our key people. If this is what we're going to discuss, we're going to have to reschedule. 
much easier virtually because we can call a few people and you know like call a lifeline you can call a few people and they might be able to bop in for a little bit and stuff like that so it's that listening and communicating that's so crucial and not be so set and rigid in how you're going to present the materials so sometimes the powerpoint is effective videos are effective and um a few weeks ago, I was looking at material uh, for one of my clients, and they had the best two-pager I think I've ever seen in my entire career. They nailed it, and that's all they needed. Everything a value analysis person needed was on the two-pager. So you didn't need any other sort of things and stuff. And so it was very easy to go through. What so made it so good? They really put... The information I was saying on there, but it was like in laid out in in certain boxes in a certain way with key points highlighted, bolded. It just made it flow so that you understood everything, and it flowed in a way that it went from how our minds are thinking of how am I going to put an executive report together how am i going to present this to the the key opinion leaders or the the team how am i going to do that and what am i missing so it was in a very uh, visual appealing but also the information was right on not very many what i called those empty words we've got the most revolutionary you know it's very leader in the industry yeah and i go mm, okay yeah. so but it was perfect and the only thing i basically said was you know make the picture a little bit smaller and add a couple more things here and you've got it you've already done it the other thing i have noticed in the manufactured device world is if the sales and the marketing are a more cohesive team because marketing needs to know a lot about the product but they also need to know how to help the either the clinical specialists the the representatives, the district managers, whatever the titles are that are coming to call on folks, they have to understand what their audience is and how they are going to digest things. And they have to understand, and the two of them working very well together makes a lot of different than keeping them in silos. I have actually heard salespeople come to a meeting and say, I don't know, this is just what marketing gave me. I, I you know, things slip out of mouths at, at meetings that I'm sure that uh, suppliers are going, you really said that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, a lot of things kind of slip out during meetings. So that, that's a little bit other sort of advice that I would give. So, Barbara, there's there's two more. First of all, th thank you so much. This has been just a fantastic discussion. Uh, there's two things that I'd like to kind of get to. One is Barbara Strain Consulting and what you're doing and who you're who you're uh, working with right now. And the second thing is the society. So we'll, we'll let's talk about Barbara Strain Consulting real quick. Well, when Barbara Strain retired, her husband said, your retirement isn't going to look like mine, is it? And I go, no, <laughs> um, because my whole premise and i said it way at the beginning is i want to help healthcare be better as good at healthcare as we can do in the u.s we're spending far too much money we have a lot of waste in our systems there's a lot of miscommunication various things so i'm not out to boil the ocean i'm not going to fix absolutely everything but i wanted an opportunity to use the knowledge i've gained over a long um, experience arc to help resonate with uh, manufacturers, uh, new med techs especially, disruptive technology, truly innovative technology, and how can they position themselves so they can truly help providers. And it's helping them to increase that total value we crossed 
talked about at the beginning, but in a way that's not six months, one year out, whatever. These processes really don't have to take as long as either they happen or they're perceived to happen because I know we're juggling so many things. But right now, especially with all of the losses a lot of the IDNs and individual hospitals have had over the last two years financially because uh, procedures had to be shut down or tailored back and then they're backlogged and all those sorts of things is if you can bring and show immediate value that is in terms that would hit the bottom line but also getting to that quadruple aim that's out there you know, as more that we can get to some sort of value-based care rather than fee-for-service and just keep piling on more volume, right? So I, I know uh, enough of those things to try to help at the manufacturer side, but there's also still providers out there who may not uh, be at a um, level of assessment where do you have an executive group? You know, are your messages being heard? How are you making decisions and things? So um, that's how, uh, you know, Barbara Strain Consulting was developed. I still do a lot of volunteer work. I can do pro bono work. But what I have to do is I only work on projects I truly believe in. And you have to believe not only in the people that have whatever organization, provider, or manufacturer, but what are their values and how are they positioning themselves and why are they doing what they're doing and how does that resonate with the product or service and back to that whole continuum with our consumers and our patients. So for those of you who want to contact Barbara, I'll have the links uh, to her consulting group in, in the show notes. So Barbara, the last thing I want to talk about is the Association of Healthcare Value Analysis Professionals. So you were one of the founders there and past president. So tell us about the group, how it got started and what it is today. It's one of my passion projects. So this was in the early 2000s and I went back to a lot of emails at time to help put together history and things but it was literally like 2000 2000 2001 and Brooke Burson at Duke who does value analysis Melanie Miller who was at Cedar sinai at the time Cindy Cristovanelli who was in Ohio at the time and a few of us Terry Nelson at Mayo that we all started hearing about each other that had similar positions. And so it started out as two-way conversations, four-way conversations in that, that realm that I told you about. You know, we had, you know, somebody who went to a meeting and they brought back this, you know, great stent or this catheter. And have you ever heard of it? And, and have you seen something like this? And are you doing any procedures like this? These are the conversations that started. Pretty soon there's eight of us, you know, it was like gerbils. Uh, so it was like 16 of us and things until we got to a point that it was like really bad spam distribution <laughs> group, if you will. And it really got to be big. It was like 60 some people or so, and we tried to keep track of it and things. But we said, somebody said in that 2003 sort of time frame, let's just make an organization. I think the hardest thing we did was trying to pick out the name, uh, just like anything else. But we had about eight or 10 of us who sat down from a lot of different organizations. Some of us had previous um, nonprofit professional board experience. I was on a, a board when I was a lab person, so I had some experience doing that. Other folks were. So we did the whole incorporation things. We did the bylaws and the articles of incorporation and who could be a member and what were the dues and all that sort of stuff, and then announced ourselves. And that was in 2004. We had our first meeting, which I was uh, privileged enough to go to. There was about 30 of us. 
uh, show you how small we were. I think uh, four cars took everybody the dinner that first night. Uh, <laughs> we met at UNC. Our first president was from UNC. And so I could drive. I'm in Virginia and I could drive down there and stuff. And it was great. I mean, I get so energized networking with folks who have done things. And I said, you know, you think you're doing things, but you're not doing things. So this is how you learn to sort of spread uh, from those small little orbits. And then pretty soon you're spreading more and more. So uh, we are now... Um, having our 17th annual conference. We did have uh, a lapse in there over uh, for uh, live meeting over 2020 and things, but we kept on, we had virtual, we do programs throughout the year. I do podcasts as well. Uh, I call on people all across the U.S. I have we have Canada members as well, and we have a mixture of folks. And it's only thirty minutes. It's live. Uh, we talk about uh, what's really going on today. It's called value analysis right now, but we're basically an education organization. That's what we do. So we have regular members. And the criteria is you have to be actively doing value analysis, either in a provider organization, you can be in a supplier organization, but it's got to be strictly non-sales, you're doing value analysis work in organizations. Then there's an affiliate we put in in 2018. This is suppliers who aren't doing value analysis. Then we have retired as one of the categories because people might like to still keep involved and can be very helpful on committees and things, but um, are no longer working. And uh, we're going to put in a brand new member category that we'll be announcing shortly. So that's a teaser. We really want to make an impact across healthcare. So we don't just want to be, okay, we're, you know, 332 value analysis people. We want to be suppliers. We want to be other nonprofit organization MOUs with them, like wound care and respiratory and cardiology and, you know, HFMA and a variety of things, because everybody needs that sort of mutual understand value analysis, understand how we can under get more information about what you're doing. What are those technical things we need to do? Because it's it's all about knowledge being power. And the more you can associate, so we have a MOU with ARM and a MOU with other organizations and also media services. So various different outlets like that. So we can help do articles, we do white papers, uh, we do uh, surveys, uh, we just try to get out there as much as we can so we can have this cross sort of pollination of education to really enhance what's going on. So most of our listeners are affiliates or could be eligible to be aff affiliates with it. What can uh, affiliates help with and what can affiliates get in return? So affiliates can um, be part of committees they can attend all of our functions. Uh, we have webinars, the podcast. We also have 10 districts around the U.S. and Canada. And so those are where we try to put where members sort of live and work. So it's not just one annual meeting and everybody's going to congregate in some city. Uh, A, that's interesting. Those meetings will start to morph for everybody. But we want to provide every avenue possible. So including affiliates, they have um, local representatives. They have regional representatives. We want everybody to get together and to be able to talk amongst themselves because it's a way to learn up close and personal about products, about what 
manufacturers can provide. Uh, when you get a few of those people together with providers, you always hear, I didn't know you could also do that. You really have coding assistance, not asking the right questions or not knowing those things. And then the manufacturer can find out from, you know, four hospitals that are all in the same sort of city or locality. And maybe they're all doing the same thing in using the same product, well, could we all get together and have a collaborative contracting thing or could we do something? So it's a way of learning about, it. there will be educational content. There'll be a lot of time for discussion. We do a lot of regional like webinars and uh, different, uh, tell us all about what's going on in your region. Um, and then we have annual conferences. We have webinars throughout the year we try to do at least two a month, but it's um, what else that affiliates can do is we have a brand new group we started called the Healthcare Industry Advisory Council. And what we're going to use affiliates for and things are like focus groups, surveys. So, you know, what problems are you trying to solve and how can AVAP put content together or programs together or events together that's going to help? And so it's a variety of things. So it's all part of our strategic plan. Uh, we're not just very narrowly focused. We have our uh, processes that you've heard me go through during this time we've spent together. We have ways in which we like to make sure that people are collaborating internally and externally. Uh, we have the contacts within our organizations and everything. But we want to be able to uh, broaden and have uh, input from all these other parts of the healthcare industry so we can really work better together. And Barbara, do companies join or do individuals join? It's an individual organization. So it's, it's for your own individual. Now what we do is if five or more individuals from your um, company are going to join, we'll give them a discount because they're coming from the same company. Because we also make the assumption that the company may be paying for their membership, even though it's an individual organization. Now, that's not to say that if we get, you know, a preponderance of various companies or nonprofits and things, and they want to bring up some sort of, uh, you know, a program, we're very astute and we don't just say, no, that's not the way we do it. There's things that we have to do to bylaws and things, but we do talk about all these things. I'm currently what's called the uh, strategic board liaison to the board of AVAP. And when that is, I still attend board meetings and special leadership meetings, but I sit on every committee of AVAP to help them, as well as I'm doing a lot of the reaching out to different organizations and bringing in the key people from certain AVAP committees or leaders and things to help uh, do those collaborations. So we have a lot of programs ahead. We're going to try to start getting education out to many, many more people to infuse uh, value analysis and those principles way back into either high school, community college, college, all of those sorts of things along the way and bring in all sorts of different uh, groups from industry. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for sharing so much knowledge today. Really appreciate it. Some great information for our listeners. Uh, is there any message that you'd like to leave everyone with today? I really do think, and this is my advocacy sort of thing, is, and I mentioned that we have a lot of waste in healthcare. We have a lot of uh, different messaging. We have a lot of uh, different variations and things going on. Is how can we all work better together to take a lot of that waste and variation out? So, 
we can have really great outcomes to match the dollars that we're spending on healthcare. So we can sort of improve ourselves up that long list of uh, countries that have good outcomes and are doing it in a very uh, uh, effective way and not just spending so much money, but we're really not getting the true value that we need out of this. So it's listening to one another, uh, really uh, watching what we're doing uh, internally within organizations, whether you're a provider uh, or uh, a manufacturer, uh, getting more involved with payers, insurers, really looking at what are some of those trends, and then using data to really be the equalizer in conversations. It, it really does sort of promote what we're all trying to do. Wow, such a big thank you to Barbara. She's got so much knowledge of the value analysis process, and quite frankly, we're, we're lucky that she shares it freely based on her mission to make healthcare better. A few of my takeaways. First, value analysis is heavy on the analysis, but may not be the decision maker. In Barbara's eyes, value analysis isn't involved in the decision, but I think we need to take a look at who we're talking about because we've got a value analysis team and that's what, that's what their job would be in analyzing it. Then there's the value analysis committee. Now the committee may be making the decision, but you really need to understand who you're talking to and how you can best serve that group, whether it's the value analysis pe pe uh, people who are, uh, as Barbara said, the hunters and gatherers of the information, or the committee who's going to get together to review it and make the decision. So make sure you understand the process. The second thing is understanding what the value analysis team wants. Barbara made it really clear that if you don't listen and you just give your canned talk, that's not a good recipe for success. You really need to listen and then tailor your presentation and also who you are have involved in your presentation to what their true needs are. And then the last thing is keeping an eye out for changes as a result of the pandemic. Now, it may not be tied directly to your product, but some changes to the patient care continuum may actually impact you. So it's really something to keep an eye on. It's not just your product, but how does the patient that your product is treating, how are they going to be treated in the full continuum of care? Thank you for listening. Make sure you get episodes downloaded to your device automatically by liking or subscribing to the Mastering Medical Device Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please spread the word and tell a friend or two to listen to the Mastering Medical Device Podcast as interviews like today's can help you become a more effective medical device leader. Work hard. Be kind.